0: We're back again this morning in the book of Malachi. That oracle brought to the people of Israel when they thought they were living good religious lives. But God said to them, I have something to say to you. All is not well. You need to examine yourselves by the standards I've set for you. And so he sent his prophet Malachi with this word. Let's just read from Malachi chapter 1 and we're going to be reading the first five verses this morning. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau, and I have made his mountains a desolation, and appointed his inheritance for the jackals of the wilderness. Though Edom says, we have been beaten down, but we will return and build up the ruins, thus says the Lord of hosts, they may build, but I will tear down. And men will call them the wicked territory, and the people toward whom the Lord is indignant forever. Your eyes will see this, and you will say, the Lord be magnified beyond the border of Israel. I don't know if you've ever found yourself angry at God. And you might, might have been angry at God for not acting during what you were going through, a difficult time. And you might have said something like, Lord, I know you're sovereign, but how come you're putting me through this? How come I had to go through this car accident? How come I had to lose the loss of a limb? Don't you love me, Lord? Have you ever found yourself asking God questions like that? This little book we've been studying with the men's group called Trusting God Even When Life Hurts. It's a fantastic book. I'll put the details in the bulletin for you. If you are going through hard times and you're asking questions, get that book or borrow it from our church library and go and read about God's sovereignty. Understand what He's doing. This is what Jerry Bridges says When we are in the midst of adversity, and as, is frequently, as it frequently seems to happen, Calamity after calamity seems to be surging in upon us. We will be tempted to doubt God's love. Not only do we struggle with our own doubts, but Satan seizes these occasions to whisper accusations against God, such as, if he really loved you, he wouldn't have allowed this to happen. You see, Israel and Judah were in a situation like this. They'd come out of exile and they thought they were coming into a golden life. And yet it was hard. And it seemed as if God wasn't answering their prayers. But what they were really suffering was something called selective short memory. You won't find that in a textbook. I made that up. SSM. Selective short memory. And so they come with their but word to God. God says to them, I've loved you. And they say, but Lord, in what way have you loved us? You see, the people's challenge to the Lord's statement may not have been a verbatim quote, but it summed up their world view. It summed up their attitude towards their God. It was now a century after their return from exile and life in this Persian-controlled state, their own country but controlled by the Persians, was hard. And it seemed far from the golden age of prosperity that had been anticipated in the Scriptures, in Isaiah chapter 40 to 66, and they were really looking forward to this time. But it wasn't happening. And in the midst of a generally disappointing and a frustrating experience of life, They were questioning God's interest in their plight. Lord, are you still here with us? They were questioning His commitment to fulfill His covenant to them. How are you still loving us, Lord? But you see, the love that God was speaking to them about was not an emotional and a fluffy love. It was a covenantal or a treaty love to them. This love that God was speaking about when he says, I have loved you. This love flowed out of a committed relationship to the nation of Israel and Judah. It was a committed love. The same love that kings gave each other in an alliance. The same love that married couples promised to each other before the Lord. The for better or worse love. And they were going through worse. God had said to them, I have loved you because I promised I would. How had God kept his promise of love to them? Well, God had initiated the Old Testament covenant and entered into a relationship with his people. God had established the terms. God had said, these are the terms of my covenant with them. And then to top it all, God had said, I will vow that I will keep my promises to you. And he had made that vow, that covenant with them, with his own promise of keeping it before them. However, the people also had a deal to play. They also had to promise to obey God's terms. And these terms consisted of laws or principles written on tablets of stone, given to the people. And these principles were setting a standard of living before a holy God for the people. And you all know the history of Israel. It was like a jagged saw, like this, up and down. You see, they kept God's law and then they broke God's law. And then God punished them. And then they humbled themselves before God. And then they kept God's law and then they broke God's law. And that's the way it went. You might recognize that in your own life. They'd repeatedly failed to keep God's covenant and treaty with them. And yet God shows them mercy. He shows them love by repeatedly forgiving them and not annihilating them like God annihilated the tribes around Israel. And when they humbled themselves before the Lord, He forgave them and He reinstated them and He loved them. And then later God brought in a new covenant with them. And this new covenant which God would bring to his people, we can read about in the book of Jeremiah. And I want you to turn with me to that Old Testament passage. Jeremiah chapter 31. Turn with me if you would. Let's look at what God's word says about the new covenant. Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 34. This is what God promised them through the prophet Jeremiah. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand. I like that. I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke. Although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. And that is that covenant love he's speaking about. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again, each man his neighbour, and each man his brother, saying, No, the Lord... For they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. That was the new covenant which God was bringing in. It was no longer going to be a covenant of keeping laws, but it was now going to be a covenant of love, a relationship which would be fulfilled in the end, in the Messiah who was promised, Jesus Christ himself. You see, this relationship, this relationship between God and the people would no longer be based on obedience to laws. But now undeserving man could be born again into a living relationship with his God. They could actually become children of God. Through Jesus Christ. Turn with me if you would now to the New Testament. Let's see what Paul has to say on this. Romans chapter 10. And I know we're in Malachi, we'll get there. This is setting the background. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 to 13. This is the result of the new covenant. Look at it. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on Him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. You see, it wasn't about keeping laws anymore. It was now about becoming one with Jesus Christ in a new relationship under the Father. That was what the new covenant was. It was a covenant based on God's grace. His undeserved mercy poured out on people. Man could now experience God's love in Christ. The same love that God the Father shows to the Lord Jesus Christ, we as mankind could now experience through the new covenant. Back to Malachi. Even though Israel had repeatedly broken this covenant with God, they now questioned God's faithfulness to them and they say to him God how have you loved us and initially when I saw that I thought you guys are going to get lightning on you because it's so I wanted to use the word rude it's not rude but it's so in God's face was there any doubt of the Lord's love towards them given the fact that in spite of their sinful rejection of him time And time and time again, which had led to the exile in the end, God had once again come through for this nation and he had once again redeemed them from their bondage, this time from their bondage in Babylon. You see, they were suffering from a severe case of SSM, selective short memory. Their real question was, Lord, why are you not loving us now? Times are tough, Lord. Look at the times we're living in. Have you forgotten us, Lord? And you can nearly see the fist up in the air. But before we point too many fingers at this nation, let's just examine ourselves for a short while. This is where it gets hard. It's when it touches us. Don't you and I tend to do the same sometimes? As long as things are going well with us, then God must be in control and we are full of praise the Lord. Hallelujah! But as soon as things start going pear-shaped, we start to, and we start to experience hardship, then we start asking these very same questions. They've just got different words. Lord, are you seeing this? Why are you allowing this, Lord? What have you done for me lately, Lord? Lord, please give me some fresh evidence that you still love me. I need to see something, Lord. It's a very same question. And we've got to remind ourselves that God hasn't changed. His promises to us haven't changed because He hasn't changed. Have His promises become obsolete because we live in 2011? He promised, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That little word never means Never. There's no time attached to the word. Has God now changed His mind? Especially in your case? Has He changed His mind when you are going through hard times? You see, we're no different in our questioning of God than these Israelites were. But I love God's response. He just points them to His past faithfulness. God doesn't get into a big argument to these people. He just says, look, look what I've done. You see, there's no buts with God. He just points them to his past faithfulness. He takes them back to Jacob and Esau, a history these people would know very well. Jacob and Esau, those twin boys born to Isaac and Rebekah. But note God's love to these boys. Even though the boys were not yet born, the Lord had already declared that the older son Esau would serve the younger son Jacob. And this was completely contrary to the normal pattern of heredity where the oldest son got the blessing. But God says, no, I'm going to turn it completely on its head. You see, what God was pointing out to them was that his love was not based on anything in the boy's behavior at all, but rather on his own sovereign choosing to love one and not the other. And as hard as that is for us to swallow... This is the sovereign God who can do what he wants. And we as human beings have to accept what God does. And so God says, I choose one, I love Jacob, but the other I hate, Esau. And that word hate means I do not love him. Okay, And so God declares, I love, I choose Jacob, but Esau I hated, I rejected him. You see, there's a relationship being described here it's an undeserved relationship that God is describing and way back in Genesis chapter 25 neither Jacob or Esau deserved God's love at all either before he showed it to them or after he showed it to them they didn't deserve any of his love they both deserved to be hated rejected cast off by almighty God why well let's examine them what did Esau do Esau despised his birthright and he regarded it of so little value that he exchanged it for a meal. Now, that was a big deal in the Old Testament. You were saying, I do not want your blessing, Father. I do not want your blessing, God. I will exchange it for a bowl that will satisfy me temporarily while I just eat it. So, in other words, I don't care much for that blessing. So, he despised his birthright. And then you think Jacob was any better? What did Jacob do? Well, he he thought he'd trick and manipulate his way into God's blessing. He was trying to force God to bless him, instead of trusting God to provide in God's own time. And yet, look how faithful God stays in his love to Jacob. At the lowest point of Jacob's life, when he was being attacked by the Chaldeans, and you can read about that in Genesis, he recovered, he came through. Why? Because of the love of Jehovah God to him. God was faithful to his promise and his covenant to Jacob and that nation. And he brought Jacob back from exile with 12 children and great possessions. Some might think, well, that was actually a curse, the 12 children. But no, to them it was a great blessing but you see what's happened here? God loves these people and he brings Jacob through these circumstances with 12 children and great possessions. Don't look at what God brought him back with in Genesis 35. God kept his, prominence, his promise to Jacob. But look at Esau. Verse 3 describes what God says about Esau. Esau would never recover because God had his hand against Esau. Verse 3 says, I have hated or not chosen Esau, and I have made his mountains, his place where he'll be secure and safe, I've made that place a desolation, and I have appointed his inheritance. That word appointed means I've deliberately done this. I have appointed his inheritance for the jackals of the wilderness. In other words, I'm going to annihilate him. And it didn't stop with Esau. It went against Esau's descendants as well, the Edomites. What does God say about the Edomites? Verse 4 in Malachi says this, Though Edom says we have been beaten down, but we will return and build up the ruins. They're trying to be positive through all this, but still not recognizing God. This is what the Lord of hosts says. And this is such a sober reality check for me when I read that. Because so often we try and do things without God's help, without the power, without His sanction. This is what God says. They may build, but I will tear down. And men will call them the wicked territory, and the people toward whom the Lord is indignant forever. And that promise of the Lord still stands today. You only need to examine the situation in the Middle East and go and have a closer look at what's happening there, and you will see it still stands today. But God showed undeserved love to Jacob through all this. And so we come here to Malachi's generation. They've seen their forefathers going into exiles into exile for committing sins against the Lord. And they themselves were currently facing many difficult situations which they interpreted as evidence that the Lord had abandoned them. And when they looked across the fence and they looked at the Edomites who were living next to them in the territory, the Edomites seemed to have had a much easier history. Why? Because the Edomites had sided with the Babylonians and they had aided them against Judah and Israel. And so they see the Edomites and they see their own situation and they say, where's the Lord's justice? He's supposed to be our covenant-keeping God. Why is he not doing anything to the Edomites next door? And God's answer to them comes through this. God points them to their very existence now and he says to them, Your very continued existence through the judgment of the exile should be proof to you, Israel, that I love you and I have kept my promise to you. Are you not standing on your own soil? You see, God was committed to them despite their history of sin. He would never abandon them. And that is why God gives them that big picture. He takes them right back to the past, to Jacob and Esau. He shows them how He preserved them in the past and how He was with them in their current difficult situations, and He was preparing a future for them through the new covenant, when the Messiah would come, and they would be freed at last, and they would be God's people personally again. God says to them, I have loved you. What about you and me? 2011. You find yourself asking those questions, Lord, what have you done for me lately? Lord, I'm going through hard times. Lord, when I look across the fence, I see sinners prospering and yet I'm struggling daily, Lord. Why? Don't you love me? Why do they win 30 million and I don't, Lord? You see, when we start asking these questions, we need to stop. We're on very dangerous ground here, the same ground that Israel was on. We've got to ask ourselves a few more questions. Here they are. Has God been faithful to you up to now? What has God done for you? Look back in your past. Well, right through history, what did God do? God sent Jesus to this earth, didn't He? Turn with me, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 9. Way back in the Old Testament again. Isaiah chapter 9. This was God's promise to mankind, including you and I as we sit here this morning. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 to 7. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. Here we go. From then on and forevermore. Are we included in the evermore? 2011, it's included. And now look at that last sentence. Don't lose that last sentence. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. God is putting His energy into making this all come about. And you say that God doesn't love you. God has been faithful. And if you're a believer here today, Jesus didn't just come as a figure in history. Jesus came to save you personally. He found you in your condition of lostness when you were tied up in those chains of of sin and death. Lord Jesus Christ found you. And he chose you and he loved you, like he did Jacob. And today he is changing you so that you will look more like his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is preparing now a future with him forever. And then you say, God, where is your love to me? God has been faithful to you up to now. The second question you've got to ask yourself is, has God changed at all? Malachi chapter 3 verse 6, you can quickly flick there, says, I the Lord do not change. Full stop. There's no brackets there. This isn't Paul. This is the Lord speaking. I the Lord do not change. And that means His promises to us don't change either. The third question we've got to ask ourselves is, and this is where it gets hard, have you being faithful to God. How do I know that? In your daily obedience to Him, do you love Him daily? Is the relationship between you and the Lord Jesus Christ a relationship of love or is it a relationship which is a chore? Lord, I'll give you a quick five minutes because I've got five minutes before I fall asleep. Or... I'm a bit rushed for work this morning, Lord, so instead of reading what I was, I'm just going to read this little bit. And Lord, I haven't got time to pray today. That's when your relationship becomes a chore before God. You're going through the motions. Have you been faithful to Him? When you look across the fence, and then you look at your own situation, and you say, Lord, you're not being fair, are you? Look at me. Look at my neighbour. He's got the flash car. Lord, I ride this little clapped out trap. What are you doing, Lord? You are being unfair to me. You see, sometimes we start blaming God's perceived unfaithfulness or his inaction towards us in these circumstances. We start blaming them to justify our own sinful actions. You see, we start taking shortcuts. We don't see God in action, so we start taking shortcuts in our Christian lives. Lord, I know you will provide, but... And then you take a shortcut. Instead of keeping to the principles of God's Word, you're doubting the Lord. You're doubting His faithfulness. Sometimes we use that excuse of God not dealing with us to leave sin in our lives unattended because we think God will understand. I'm going through hard times. He'll understand if I just keep this sin. No, you won't. He's a holy God. He cannot endure any sin before Him. He has been faithful. Have you been faithful? Are you faithful as you sit here this morning? Do you know of things in your life that you need to deal with in your life and yet you are leaving them undealt with Because you think God will understand. God's word comes to us this morning and says He won't understand. He will deal with you. You need to deal with that sin. Come before the Lord. There's a a fourth question you've got to ask yourself. And this comes from um, verse 5. Do you give glory to Him even during hard times? Why? Because of His past faithfulness his present faithfulness, and his continued faithfulness to you. Do you give him glory even in those circumstances? When you're on your knees, do you give God glory? You see, Israel had to learn this lesson. Verse 5, the Lord says there, I'm going to show you these things, and I've shown you these things, so that your eyes will see this, and you will say, the Lord be magnified beyond the border of Israel. So what's the conclusion that we come to this morning? The conclusion we come to this morning is that God wants you and I too to look past our difficulties and yes they might be major in our lives but we have to look past those difficulties and we are to see almighty God in our situation. He is still with you and I. He hasn't left and He has chosen to love you. He has chosen to love you and He will continue to love you. Don't believe Satan's lie when he says, God doesn't love you because look what's happening. That is Satan's lie. Believe Almighty God. He will continue to love you. He will not forget you at any time. And you know the cry He wants to hear on your lips isn't the cry, but God, look, the cry He wants to hear from your lips and from mine is this. I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present, the future, nor any powers, neither height or depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. There is life out there. You see, that is the cry to be on our lips. Lord, nothing can separate me from You, from Your great love. Satan and his lies cannot separate me from Your love. Your love is almighty, enduring, and it will go forever until You take me to be with You. It doesn't matter if You put me on my knees. I will trust in You. You see, that cry gives God glory. And when the world looks at you and they see you living that triumphant life, Even through difficulties, that brings glory to God. Why? They look at you and they think, if it was me, I would have been panicking. They look at you and they see peace, which God has brought about in you. And God is glorified through that. So, are you feeling unloved this morning? Here's a solution for you. When you leave this place this morning, when you go back into your circumstances and you see those big problems, and they're still there, they haven't gone away, they're outside these doors, you go alone into God's presence. Get time and do this. And ask God to remove your short memory, your SSM. Explain that to God, He'll understand. And ask Him to remove your discontent. Because that is what it comes down to. It's discontent. So that even during your hard times that you're going through now, instead of saying, but God, what have you done for me lately? You will say, times are hard, Lord. But you are ever faithful and I will trust in you. And say that aloud to your soul because your soul will need to hear it now. I will trust trust in you. What Job, say, though he slay me, I will hope in him. What insight Job had. I wish I had that faith. And then the prayer from your heart could be something like this. Lord, give me a heart that is forever grateful that you chose to save me. And then you made it possible, Lord, through allowing Jesus to die for me on the cross. And thank you, Lord, that you remain faithful, even though I so often trip up because of my sin. Lord, make me a mirror of your grace towards me. Do you understand that? Lord, make me a mirror that shines out, that reflects your grace towards me, instead of a mirror of that thankless attitude which pervades society all over today and which so quickly creeps into our lives as believers as well. And it affects our attitudes. And then end your prayer with this. Lord, save me from myself. Save me from myself. Keep my eyes focused on you, Lord. And then these troubles will seem to fade away. Because Almighty God will be dealing with them, with you. So what can separate us from the love of God? David put it so beautifully, he said this. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, past tense. O Lord, faithful God, present tense, future tense. God is faithful. He will remain faithful forever. Trust in His words and then apply that in your situation. And you will come out the other side. And guess what? God will still be there with you until you leave this earth and then those things will be over. And then as we sang this morning, you will stand in glory one day and you will think, no, you won't even think back on this earth because you will be so filled with what's happening there Because Almighty God will be there and you will be glorifying Him 24-7. Think about that. Let's pray. Our Almighty Heavenly Father, thank You for this prophecy to this nation Israel through Malachi. And thank You that even though this prophecy was to this specific nation That we can still learn today, so many years later, from those principles contained in these promises. That you love us. And that your love will never end. It is unending. We cannot measure your love. It is so great. It is without measure. And Lord, thank you that you are a faithful, promise-keeping God. And that it doesn't matter what we go through in this life. You will be there for us. You will not forsake us because you promised that you will never leave and forsake us. You will always be there. And Lord, thank you that we can trust you and we can trust your word. But Lord, our cry from our hearts this morning is help us in our unbelief because those troubles get big around us like mountains and waves. Lord, Keep us faithful to you, our faithful covenant-keeping God.